Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and coming up on today's show, you'll be hearing my conversation with filmmakers Christopher Soren Kelly and Jessica Graham about their latest film, The Tangle, which is one of the most unique sci-fi films that I've watched in quite some time, but we'll be getting to that a little bit later on in the show. I've got to talk about a film that I recently watched and I've been anticipating for quite some time, even dating back to 2014 with the potential of this movie, and that is Godzilla vs. Kong. Before I get into my thoughts on that, I want to backtrack to some fun moments that I have associated with this monster universe, if you will. I can remember back in 2014 being excited for the Godzilla movie. And I'll admit, growing up, I wasn't like a diehard Godzilla fan. I always thought the character was really cool. But my only real experience, other than knowing the basics of who Godzilla was, and I knew of the old uh, films from way back in the day, but I was technically introduced to the character through the 1998 film with Matthew Broderick. And before I get lynched about that, I will admit I enjoyed that movie growing up. And as I've gotten older and I've watched it since then, I definitely see the flaws in it and why a lot of people don't like it. But technically, it was my introduction into that universe. So fast forward to 2014, you know, we see all the trailers for it, seeing Godzilla, you know, wrecking things and seeing how cool he looked. And I thought, I've got to see this movie. And myself and my friends, Adam and Joey, all three of us were working for the Blue Wahoos. Adam and I still do. Joey, uh, not anymore, but he was a trainee at the time. And we kept going back and forth because the movie came out uh, during a homestand. So we were thinking, are we going to be able to see this opening weekend? And we decided as soon as, you know, a game was over, I think it was that Friday game, we decided to do it. And we rushed to the theater. We didn't do any type of meeting or anything after the game was over. And we made it right as the movie started. And it's one of my favorite movie-going experiences of my time on this earth. And I love the movie, and I couldn't wait to see more. So then, you know, we have Kong Skull Island come out after that, which I very much enjoyed. And there are elements of the Peter Jackson version of King Kong that I like. But to me, Skull Island is what the Kong franchise needed to be. It just had a different feeling. It, it felt cooler and I, I got the vibe that Peter Jackson was trying to get with his version where it was essentially a remake of the uh, the uh, 1933 version but Skull Island was something different and I very much enjoyed it and I'll get to why I enjoy those types of movies because don't get me wrong I love a good drama I love story story is what made me fall in love with film but I'll get to that in a second so then King of the Monsters comes out I want to say it was Skull Island then King of the Monsters that came out Godzilla 2 was not as well received or it didn't make as much money. So they were kind of on the rocks about where they were going to go with the franchise. But then it led to what we got this past week, Godzilla versus Kong. And it was such a fun experience watching this movie. To me, it was exactly what it needed to be. Just I know the, the human element has been getting a lot of flack, but this movie was exactly what it needed to be. I wasn't looking for Citizen Kane. I wasn't looking for Casablanca. All I needed was a giant lizard 
and a giant ape beating the crap out of each other. The fight scenes were great. I actually enjoyed the story element of the film. As I mentioned, the human interaction or the human element, I should say, has been getting a lot of flack because they say, oh, well, the, the story's not that great or the acting's not that great. Again, I'm not looking for a deep moving story with this. Not every movie has to be Citizen Kane. That's the beauty of movies as an art form is you can tell so many different stories and convey so many different emotions and feelings through the characters, through the effects, through the whole film. And honestly, that's why I liked Godzilla vs. Kong so much. You know, I I enjoy a good summer blockbuster and, you know, I, I get into this, you know, in, in my conversation later on, but I love the story of indie film. I do find the stories from a lot of indie films to be much better than your big budget films you get, like even from the, the Marvel aspect or the DC aspect of it. But this was just pure fun. And I'm so happy that this was put in theaters. And don't get me wrong, I think it's great that Warner Brothers is doing the deal with HBO Max and it gives me the platform to be able to watch it in my own home if I want to over the next month while it's out. But this is a theater movie. And we're seeing that people are still wanting to go to the movie theaters. And the biggest example is with this film because it made $9 million on opening day. So I think... I personally think that the HBO Max model that they have with Warner Brothers releasing those films on HBO Max at the same time, I think that will still be a thing through 2021, but I think will be gone after 2022 because we are seeing that people, if they have the option to go to a theater or watch a movie at home, they're still going to a theater. And I think that will vary because it depends on the movie. You know, I mentioned Mulan on last week's show. Yeah, it's it had the premiere access with Disney Plus, but if you're a family of four or a family of five and you're going to spend probably more than that to go to a theater, then yeah, you pay the extra 30 bucks and you watch it with your family at home and you have a night in. But in this case, I'd much rather go to a theater. And... There's something just so unique about the movie theater experience. It's just so different than watching it at home. And don't get me wrong, I love watching movies at home. But movies like this, you want to be in a big room with a big screen, bag of popcorn, a giant soda and some candy, and you just have a fun time at the theater. And I, I did want to mention real quick, it really bothers me that the the Snyderverse fandom, the, those that are, you know, staunchly for Zack Snyder being able to continue his vision with uh, the Justice League and, you know, the potential sequels that were to come of it, that there were reports that fans of that were bombing Godzilla versus Kong. And those reviews have been taken down from Rotten Tomatoes and other uh, other websites. But I'm thinking, what good is it going to do if you're blasting another film? I mean, maybe it makes Warner Brothers think, well, the MonsterVerse isn't going to work, but hey, people loved Zack Snyder's Justice League, so that's the direction we're going to go in. Maybe that's the case. I have no idea. But to me, it's just, 
if I'm a fan of something, I'm going to support it. You know, I love Star Wars. I love the MCU. I love so many other different movies that I will be in support for, and I will wave the flag. I will wave the Star Wars flag and the Marvel flag. But if there's films that I don't like, you know, like some of the DC films I don't really care for, I don't go online and say, oh, this movie sucks. You should never watch it. Or I make a movement to try and get it removed or get it replaced by something else. I just don't say anything. And I, I tell people the best way you can support a film property is with your money, with your wallet. If you don't like something, then don't go see it. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, why are there so many Fast and the Furious movies? Well, it's because people go see them. And are they visually great? Yes. Are they great on story? Usually not. But that's not the reason why people go see those movies. There wouldn't be, you know, soon to be nine if people didn't enjoy them. They keep making money, so the studios are going to keep making them. So that's that's been kind of my thing. Like, I, I've, I just get... I get irritated when I see so much negativity on social media and then through movie reviews because people think that, you know, they, they have to, I don't know what, what they're thinking, if I'm being completely honest. I, I just, it, it bothers me that, and I'm not saying that my mindset is perfect or anything, but it irritates me when people, because they don't personally like something, try to get something else canceled. You know, for, for no real reason other than they just don't like it. If there's a moral reason, that's completely different. But if it's something you just don't like, like the, you know, the Godzilla versus Kong reviews, like that to me is completely asinine. But that being said, I very much enjoyed Godzilla versus Kong. I can't wait to watch it again. Definitely go out and see it. It's exactly what it needs to be. And I'm so happy that it's in the theater. And it's going to continue to do better because more theaters are going to open back up. Capacity is going to increase over the next several months. So this movie, along with others, I think we're going to see you know, an increase in box office revenue. Will we get to the level of Endgame or Avatar? Probably not. I don't know that we'll ever see that in my lifetime or our lifetime. Because there are going to be some people who are you know, forever worried about getting sick or worried about getting covid so I, I think the, the days of the billions of dollars in box office revenue, I think, may be over, but theaters are going to still be around, and the theater experience will still be around, which makes me very happy. I can't wait to watch this film again. I can't wait to watch other films uh, later this summer as you know the, the capacity is increasing and things like that. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it, personally. But... Overall, go watch Godzilla vs. Kong. You will not regret it. It's such a fun, fun movie. Is it perfect? No, but it, it suits its purpose and it's exactly what it needs to be. The fight scenes are incredible. I personally didn't really dislike the acting and the human story all that much. I know it has to be there, but that's not why I went. Why, what I went for was to watch the fight between Godzilla and Kong. Or I should say the fights between Godzilla and Kong. And... Uh, not to uh, not to give any spoilers, but it, it ended to me how it should. 
and I hope that that universe continues. I know they've left it, you know, kind of open to see what's going to happen financially. I hope it continues because these movies are fun. And that's what makes movies great. That's what makes it my favorite art form is you can tell so many different stories in different ways. Once again, not everything has to be Citizen Kane or Casablanca. You can have just a fun thrill ride of watching two giant monsters beat the crap out of each other. And last thing, I can't forget to mention this, but Pensacola actually gets a pretty big shout out in this movie. And it was really cool to see, even though as the movie was progressing, because the beginning of the film takes place allegedly in Pensacola, and that's where Godzilla attacks Apex for the first time. We're looking at the exterior shots, and I look over at Samantha, and we're both like, where in Pensacola is this supposed to be? I mean, it obviously wasn't filmed in Pensacola, but at the same time, like on one hand, it was cool that Pensacola got a shout out, but at least, you know, I wish it looked a little more accurate when it comes to the depiction of the city, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, either way, it's cool that the city got a shout out, so... It was cool because it got a, a decent reaction in the theater here. But at the same time, I was like, come on, just make it make it look a little more like Pensacola. But those are my thoughts on Godzilla vs. Kong. But coming up next is my conversation with filmmakers Christopher Soren Kelly and Jessica Graham. They're here to talk about their latest film, The Tangle. And the cool thing about doing this podcast is it gives me the opportunity to watch films like this that I otherwise probably wouldn't have the opportunity to. So I, I love the look and feel of this film. It's very unique, and I get into it in, in the conversation, but I couldn't really find another film to compare it to, and I think that's really cool, especially with indie film, because a lot of things have been done. Pretty much everything's been done in the world of film, so it was nice to see something that was a little different. It was great getting to chat with them about you know, how they got started in their career, how they came together to make this film happen, their experience making it. It was just an all-around great conversation. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jessica Graham and Christopher Soren Kelly. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, and it is my pleasure this week to introduce not one, but two guests talking about their latest film, The Tangle, which I had the pleasure of watching recently, and one of the most unique films that I've watched in quite some time, but we'll get into that in just a bit. Joining me first is the writer-director of the film, Mr. Christopher Soren Kelly. How are you, sir? I'm well. Nice, nice to meet you. Nice to see you. Absolutely. No, I've been looking forward to this. And also joining us is uh, one of the actresses from the film, Miss Jessica Graham. Jessica, how are you? I am great. I'm really happy to be here with you, Derek. Thanks. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, let's just dive right in. Uh, I watched this film as we are recording this interview uh, just a couple of hours ago. So I've got you know, fresh, fresh perspective on it. I very much enjoyed it. As I said, it was a very unique film and one that as I was watching it, I was thinking, what film could I compare this to? And I got a little bit of a memento vibe from mm, it. Cool. But other than other than that, you know, I, I couldn't really think of anything that I could really compare it to. So, uh, Chris, we'll start with you as you, you know, are the writer director. How did you come up with the idea for the story? Um, well, first of all, I, I have to say that 
this could be problematic from a marketing perspective, but that's my favorite compliment is that I've been getting that we've been getting is that people are like, I can't really compare this to anything else. Uh, it's really hard to make a film and you have to spend a lot of time at it. So it's kind of fun to not make something that's already been made. You know, uh, it's not going to be for everybody necessarily, but it's definitely uh, appreciated that, that it sort of has a unique flavor. Um, and in that in that vein, there wasn't really an idea. It was uh, just I just sort of started writing in uh, like my wheelhouse. Like I've been doing I've been reading sci fi since I was a preteen, you know, so geeky sci fi and the way that and I think about it a lot, the way the technology is going and the where it's going. Um, a movie like Blade Runner sort of influences some of my stylistic tastes. Um, and so, and poetry is a big part of my life as well. Both my mother was a poet, my stepfather was a poet, my grandfather was a, a po uh, was a professor of English. Like so, that's like it's just I just just started writing in my wheelhouse. Jessica and I sort of brainstormed a lot of the story together. I would sort of pitch what I was thinking, and she would, you know, we, we talked it over, and and I just wrote it from there. Yeah. And Jessica, what was your reaction when you were presented with this idea? Um. I, I was I was really excited. I also love sci-fi and um, you know, I was my my dad was a huge sci-fi film fan. And so I was like pretending to be Luke Skywalker when I was three. And I was in love with Spock when I was um, you know, like eleven and twelve. And so I was like I had a deep connection with sci-fi already and um and poetry while you know I I would not call myself a poet. It's definitely part of how I move and live in the world. And so uh, that was very exciting to me as well. Um, we had originally talked about making a different project. And Chris and I discussed that in order to make a film and make it now, which was back then, but the now back then, um, we needed to come up with something that was doable on a really small budget. And so, you know, like Chris said, we bounced around these ideas and then he sat down and wrote this beautiful script in what seemed like, you know, 24 hours. It was a little longer, but it, it, it did not take him very long. So I was incredibly impressed and also really grateful because he created the role of Laurel for me. And um, there's nothing quite like that, having somebody write you a role. I've heard that from numerous actors when a writer slash writer director approaches them and say, oh, I have this role with you in mind. I, I can't imagine much of a better compliment than that. It's pretty special. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes me so happy that you mentioned you know, both of you that you love sci-fi because I'm the same way. You know, mm -hmm. I can remember watching the original Star Wars movie at a very early age. And since then I was hooked on the genre. And since then watching movies like, a Blade Runner, you know, Star Trek, you know, so many other sci-fi classics that have come out since then. So when I was presented, you know, the opportunity to watch this movie and I read what it was about, you know, I was instantly hooked because of that natural, you know, sci-fi taste that I've developed from an early age. But I also like the sci-fi films that in a way touch on, you know, what could happen in the future. And, you know, well, I'm sure we'll get into the plot a little bit uh, as we progress. But as I was watching it, I kept thinking to myself, I wouldn't be shocked if this or something like this actually happened. Yeah. Chris, as you were writing the story, did you have those same thoughts? Absolutely. In fact, there's a little part of me that's like, oh, this is just too plausible. Like, this is obviously what's going to happen. It's not even that exciting. You know, um, obviously, that's oh, that was OK. There's enough excitement in the movie. But 
um, yeah, I think it's, I think we're almost there. And, you know, obviously this particular thing requires certain technological innovations that may or may not be possible, but they're at least plausible. And, uh, and I think if they were done, we would, yeah, we would end up in a world like this pretty quick. Yeah. I personally would not be surprised yeah. at all. It's not that different from where we are now, honestly. So. No, no, for sure. So what, once the script is complete and you guys decide that you're going to make this movie happen, what was the first step after that? Like how, how did you get from idea to script to the actual shooting? Well, we, you know, I really wrote the script. We had planned to make a feature that year. Um, we had made a few short films together that had done well on the festival circuit and they're, they're very time intensive to make a short film. So we were just figured it was time to move up a level. Um, so we had planned all along and fortunately based on uh, the performance of our short films, we had some investors who were willing to give us a small amount of money that we, we knew we could get together to, to make this movie. So we sort of had that all in pl- almost in place when we, when the script was being written and then we put, we finalized all that over the summer. Um, and yeah, I just started doing the pre-production is trying to find locations and uh, finish up the casting and do all the pre-production stuff, uh, you know, just in time to shoot less than six months later, I think. And how long did it take you guys to shoot the film? Well, so that's a hard question, but the, uh, the, the stuff that happens in that main location, we shot that over, I think a two week period and about 10 days of shooting, but then over the next two years, I filled in all that other stuff, all the other things. There was another main shoot at the, with the Speakeasy location, uh, which is in downtown Los Angeles. And then I shot a lot of those sort of out in the wilderness stuff uh, over a couple of years. And then we, the final shoot was the, uh, that watchtower in the, in the snow shot. Yeah, I, I liked the, you, you could tell that a good portion of the film took place in one central location, but it was good that you got to see a variety of, of places too. And it's, I've always curious about features because I've personally never worked on one, but you hear several stories of, you know, some take months to shoot. I've heard some that take as short as, you know, four or five days, mm-hmm. which is insane to me. I had a, an, an interview on the show a couple of weeks ago where they filmed an entire feature. I mean, they only used a couple of locations, but they shot mm-hmm. the whole thing in four days. And I'm like, you guys are out of your mind. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, what we did was crazy too. Uh, we shot a lot of pages, especially the first weekend, but, but I did write it, you know, with that in mind, you know, we, and we set up the, the style of the movie was, were these, uh, you know, not a lot of light sources that had to be changed. So it would we'd be able to cover a whole scene without a lot of light changes and uh, long dialogue scenes and the actors had rehearsed and memorized the, the full scenes and so it wasn't it was planned that way but nonetheless it was very definitely and slightly insane but i'm sure you, you were very happy with the result of it i really am i really am you know it's always it's fun when you get to the end and you're like you know that's what i pictured you know, it's, of course, it's different in all sorts of ways. But in the end, it's like has the flavor of what what we hoped for, you know. Yeah, it's always gratifying when you see the the pages and the words that you've written come to life and you're like, oh, it's it's how I imagined it. Mm. But uh, something I'm also curious about with the two of you, because with indie film, you tend to wear a lot of different hats because I know. Chris, you were the writer-director. Jessica, you were also a producer on the film. 
talk to me about what your guys experience was like not just with the shooting but also the behind the scenes aspect of it as well because there's also a business side to the film industry that i feel like isn't really talked about enough and you know jessica we'll start with you how, how was the whole process not just in front of the camera but behind the scenes as well as someone who did multiple roles yeah yeah so i mean it was a it was like a labor of love, you know, it was a passion project and continues to be because there's still lots, lots that happens behind the scenes, even after the film is released. And for me, it, it's one of the most challenging things to act and produce. Uh, I did a lot of it though, back um, in my, in my, in a past life when I was a theater producer and I would produce and I would act and I would sometimes have multiple shows going on at the same time and so I had that muscle but I will tell you after this experience of the tangle as much as I'm so glad I had it I probably won't do that again like I probably will not be a producer in that way hands-on in so many different areas and act because it's a lot especially as I get a little older it's like I don't have the same stamina um but there's something that I love about it which is that there is you're involved in the whole process like as just an actor on something, like you show up and you do your days and then who knows? But with this, like I got to be involved in every step of the way. I got to help glue the pieces onto the helmet. You know, I got to see every single cut of the film. I got to give my input and, and I love that aspect of it. Um, you know, our house kind of became a workshop. We built out some of the costume pieces, some of the prop pieces here. Um, it also became a rental house because we brought things from our house to the set. I just remember us like a whole huge car load of stuff going in and like, you know, so it was like, we, we really lived it for that period of time. And um, luckily, you know, Chris and I are, are pretty, pretty even killed. We're both meditation teachers as well. So we were able to um, function, you know, as, as a couple as well, you know, wearing, wearing that hat too. So we both were acting in it, you know, Chris wore all his hats, I wore mine, and we also came home together at night. So, um, you know, I think we did pretty well with all that. Well, it's fascinating that you bring up that you're both meditation teachers, because I'm sure with putting that amount of work into a project from both the producing as well as the acting side, you know, the acting side alone, especially if you have to do emotional roles, it can take an emotional toll on you. So I find that fascinating that in a way you knew, it seems like how to deal with all the stress of working on a project like this. Yeah, it really translates. Um, it, I've, I've since started directing as well. And uh, on set, I always have each day begins with meditation for everyone. <laughs> and some people like kind of roll their eyes and some people are like, this is amazing, but it really changes the it, it, it changes the tone. Um, so yeah, I feel, I feel incredibly grateful to be able to bring that perspective and that sort of embodiment into the, into the film work, because it's just, it's inherently stressful. Even if you're really good at managing stress, it's just hard. It's just hard to make movies, especially for no, for like no money. So, yeah. Well, that's great to hear too, because, you know, I think one of the more positive aspects that have come out of the COVID-19 pandemic is the increased awareness of mental health. So I, I think, you know, hearing you say that, you know, your first, you know, first day on set, you meditate. And I, I think that's, that's something that, you know, I think everyone should keep in mind. If it's not meditation, something else to help manage stress. Yeah. Yeah. Really important. 
But uh, what about you, Chris? How was your experience with managing all the different hats that you wore? Because you also acted in the film as well. So you were actor, writer, director. What what did you not do? I think might be the better question. <laughs> well, we had a bunch of talented people that did uh, that did things that I could not have done. So you know, Robert was the DP, and uh, you know the the look of the film. I just couldn't be happier with it, and and he deserves most of the credit for that. Um, the, uh, the 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 costumes were done by Annie, and um, she, she passed away uh, a couple years after. You know, we we shot that film, and uh, you know she's in our hearts um the 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 set design which was that especially that main set that was a warehouse that was just a horrible ugly place and they they made all that so there are a lot of things i didn't do you know um but um yeah the acting you know i fortunately had done it a few times before it's um it's an advantage to have an actor who will do whatever you tell them to do and is free. So that's me. Um, that's, that's one reason I cast myself. I, I know it might feel like an ego thing, but it really is more of a practicality. Like, okay, I can handle this. And, and also since I'm the one out in the wilderness, that's just me and the DP. I don't need to pay anybody else. It's just me out there, you know? So that, and those are real practical considerations about it. And I wrote the role going, this will be relatively easy for me. This will be in my wheelhouse, you know, this will for most of it. And, uh, and on top of that, I have Jessica and Josh, who's the other actor uh, in, in the main part of that, Carter. He was our acting coach for years. So if I was going off the rails, he would give me a note or Jessica would give me a note. So I had help and support in everything I was doing. That's fantastic. Yeah. So what was the biggest lesson that each of you learned while working on The Tangle? Uh-huh. Are you ready? No, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I have some takeaways. They're not very exciting, though. I mean, a lot of the takeaways are just what I want to do next time, you know, kind of takeaways. And I really do. I don't really want to act in the next one I write and direct. And uh, I don't want to edit it, you know, and just things like that. It's like, and I think Jessica was mentioning that just is that, you know, you have to do what you have to do to get these films done. But then you can set an intention for the next one about what the what it's going to look like. And I really want to focus in. Uh, I love acting and hopefully I'll be cast by other people and other things, but I want to focus in on my projects on, you know, being able to sit back and really work on telling the story. Hmm. So I guess I have a few. One, one is, I think this is probably the hardest I've ever worked on. Well, certainly on a film performance. Um, I've done a lot of theater and there maybe were a few of those that were, really, really challenging, but I, I worked really hard on this and I'm someone who in my life, I've, I don't know if it's lucky or unlucky, but like, I've, I've been able to kind of get by, like, just kind of like, Ooh, I got it. Like just kind of fly by the seat of my pants and like do well in a lot of areas. And that wasn't going to work with this project, with this character. I couldn't just wing it. And, um, I had to, I had to, step out of my comfort zone to not wing it because there's it it's it's a certain it's a skill that I have and it's a skill that I can depend on but it couldn't with this it needed um actually a lot of effort and I had in the very beginning of the rehearsal process I was like freaked out and like didn't think I would be able to do it and I remember emailing um a, a filmmaker who's a lot further along in her career and just kind of saying like I don't know if I can do this. And, you know, I, and, and she said, 
some of the most effortless seeming performances, the performances that just, just flow, the actor had to work really hard. And there was actually a lot of tension, like kind of tension involved in making that, that performance work. And I took that to heart and I start and I did a bunch of sessions with a coach and I just worked really hard. And so I think in some ways I got a lesson of like, if you work hard, it pays off because I feel like this is probably, this is one of my best performances and um, I'm really proud of it. And so I think, I think that's a big lesson, like work hard, like, and I'm, I'm a little old to be learning that lesson, but there you go. <laughs> now you're never too old to learn. <laughs> But uh, you bring up a great point. You bring up that in a way you challenged yourself to do this specific role. And that's in any profession of what you do, whether it's film or whatever the case may be, you should look for new ways to challenge yourself because if you become complacent, then it's like, you know, what, what am I doing here? You know, I'm just been Mm -hmm. doing the same thing over and over again. Where's, where's the challenge of, you know, doing something new. So I think that's cool that you did that. Thank you. Uh, Chris, I did want to ask you, because you mentioned you also edited your film. Mm. Do you find it better to edit the film yourself or get someone else to do it? Because as speaking as someone, you know, I did my first short film a couple of years ago and I edited it myself. And while I liked how it turned out, I was thinking I would have loved to have brought someone else in to kind of give a fresh set of eyes on the movie and not put it together the way that I would have done it. So do you, what, what are your thoughts on as far as being the writer, director, slash editor? I've never done it any other way. So it's hard for me to evaluate the other way. I am, gotcha. I look forward to having an editor, but I mean, I will, I know I'll be closely involved in that process. So even if there's an editor, uh, I will be there very closely involved. Um, I honestly have a lot of trust in my ability to see how a scene is supposed to play out. I I have a lot of trust in my ability to, I'll say protect the actors. That's not even the right word, but just to really, I really value getting every line be the true, uh, the most authentic line. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I would trust anyone else to see that. So I, I need, I will need to be there, but, um, I do look forward to, but there are lots of places where there's puzzles that need to be solved and I didn't need to solve them all. Like someone else could have solved them, you know, like, how do we get this part of the story? And that would be a great to have help in that area. No, for sure. <laughs> to backtrack a little bit, Jessica, we'll start with you. What was it that made each of you want to pursue a career in, in the film industry? Well, I was performing in one way or another since I was a little kid. And, um, you know, I was writing, directing and starring in shows that I would force all my siblings to be in and then make the adults watch. I was like choreographing dances to like Aerosmith songs. Like I was like, I was like always creating some sort of production or performance for people to watch. And, um, you know, when we got a video camera, when there were video cameras in my life, which was kind of a big deal as a kid, because it wasn't a normal thing to have one. Like I was always like creating some weird sort of, I don't know, some sort of strange emotional movie <laughs> with, with on my own or with my friends or something. Um, and so it was always in me. But when I was uh, when I was 11, um, I went to this like hippie school and the teacher 
um, cast me as Antigone and I was really scared. And I was like, cause it was more official, right? It wasn't like, I was like just making up a show. Um, and so I was scared to do it. And she said, no, no, I really think you should do it. And I did it. And the reaction I got from the adults, specifically from my dad was, um, very impactful. And I was like, I want more of this. I want more of this positive attention. And so in some ways the drive was about like getting attention and getting approval and being seen. And that was a part of it that sort of layered, that sort of layered in because originally it was just the joy of storytelling, but then it started to get layered in this like need, um, to be approved of, to be seen, to be celebrated, to be applauded. Right. And so as I, as I got older, um, and got really into my spiritual practice and meditation and all of that, the need to, to get that, to get that approval and that, um, you know, being, being seen and appreciated and being good enough started to slip away. And for a while, I actually wasn't really acting that much. and I wasn't really engaged with that part of my life, but then I rediscovered the actual joy and importance of storytelling and how it's something that has been with us always as human beings. And there's something incredibly important about continuing that. So it, that's where it started. And then it took me a long time to get back to that original reason, that original desire. And I can say at this point, you know, I feel really alive in that space in a way that I, I don't anywhere else. Like there's a kind of aliveness and a kind of joy that comes in. And that's kind of, for me, that's reason enough to do something. That's fantastic. What about you, Chris? Um, I find that I find I always find these questions difficult. I don't know why. I, I've always was always creating. I came from a family of of creators and artists, and I just always was creating. And the same thing as Jessica, making little videos with my cousins, or um, you know, memorizing things my grandfather gave us, or a writing or a drawing or whatever. Um, so that was always there. You know, uh, it was strange. I was getting my I was getting uh, my graduate degree in philosophy, and I just I just always knew I wanted to be doing art at the same time. So I started taking acting classes and started performing in short films and then feature films. And eventually I was teaching philosophy and, uh, but then I got cast in a feature film called Inc, which uh, I was like, all right, I'll go do that now. And we, you know, I just stopped teaching and went did that for 90 days and started acting from then on, you know, but I was always all through all that time. I was always creating stuff. And it's usually the case is that you, you find that, kind of creative edge growing up and then you're finding ways like whether it's film yeah. writing acting finding that that outlet and i'm sure both of you agree with me when i say this there's nothing else quite like it yeah yeah my life's about creativity at this point really it really is about creation and and there's nothing there isn't anything like it yeah so as we start to wrap up here, uh, do uh, both of you have uh, any uh, upcoming projects that you might want to talk about? Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. Sure. Um, I mean, the main thing I'm most excited about, I have a lot of projects lying around, but the thing I'm most excited about is uh, my next feature film script, which I've got a rough draft of, and it's it's a meditation thriller. So um uh, that, that was the one I want to make next. And I'm, I'm, I like the script and I'm excited about it. Yeah. So. Meditation thriller. Like yeah. I just want to see it based off of that description alone. That's by far the best pitch. If I start going into the plot, I haven't really figured out how to make it work, but like the uh, meditation thriller gets you interested. So I think that could just be the title meditation right, yeah. thriller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jessica, what about you? 
Yeah. So um, I, I, along with the tangle, I just had a short that I directed that was released. It's on Amazon prime. It's called into light. And it's about Inez Holland, who was a suffragist um, who actually died for the cause um, for the fighting for the women's right to vote. And um, so I'm really proud of that. It was, it was a, it was my third project as a director. And it was definitely like the biggest, biggest budget, biggest crew, biggest, like I think like 30 extras one day. So it was like, it's, it was, it was big. And so that's, that's out, that's available to see. I'm really excited about um, uh, a project called The Hunter, which actually uh, Chris is in as well. Oh, yeah. And that's coming out in, it was originally a feature film and it will be a feature film, but first it's going to be an episodic. So it's this very interesting release strategy going to be um on april 9th released on docs now it's not a documentary but it's a very very strange film that i could see why it's going to be on a documentary platform so that's coming out and then with that same director alexander p gutterman um i'm in development for the next project which equally as exciting as having someone write a role for you is having someone say you get to help me create this role for you. And so that's what we did with The Hunter. And now that's what we're doing um, with this next film, which is called Threshold. And very, very excited about that. Really looking forward to how that un unfolds. And it's going to be a couple of years before it's actually shooting, but, um, but they're already kind of in the process of, of putting it together. So I'm super excited about that. Jessica's a lot better at this than I am. Yeah, The Hunter is, is coming out on April 9th. I'm excited about that as well. I also have a short film that I co-wrote and acted in called Behemoth, which I'm really proud of. And that should come out sometime soon. I, I really would like people to watch that. I'm really, really happy with it. It's pretty amazing. Chris is really good in it. And it's just a really cool film. I look forward to seeing it whenever it's available. Uh, what is one piece of advice that each of you could give, and Chris, we'll start with you, uh, to an aspiring filmmaker? Um, I guess the, the advice I would give is is do it. You know, and my, what I mean by that is just uh, iterate it. Do as much of it as you can. This is really the only way to learn it. So um, probably not the best idea to be like, okay, I'm not going to make a film until I can make a Marvel movie, right? You got to make as many things as you possibly can spend as much time creating as you can. And that's the way you get better and better at it. And, you know, when we were making the tangle, I just wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have been able to do it five years before, much less 10 years before, much less 20 years before. I just, there were so many things I'd learned and internalized by that point because I'd, I'd done it so many times. And so you just have to spend the time doing it, enjoy it while you're doing it. Don't get too worried about the out, the outcomes at the beginning it will pay off in the end if you love it. What about you, Jessica? Um, I would say two things. One is actually circling back to kind of where we began, which is like, take care of your mental health and take care of your body. I, you know, I've navigated mental health and, and physical health issues my whole life. And by taking care of those things, I'm able to be a, a better artist. And so take, if, if that's up for you, take care of those parts, put that first actually. Um, and then tell the stories that you want to tell, tell the stories that are a yes for you, whether you're acting, whether you're directing or both, like don't tell some story you think someone else wants you to tell, or is like the right story or the marketable story. Tell the stories you want to tell because only you can tell those stories. And that's what is exciting and vital and, um, and so powerful about film. 
And that's why I think it's the best art form that's out there because it's so unique compared to sculpting, painting. You can convey so many emotions with film. So I, I and I agree with all that advice. I think that's fantastic. And finally, do you guys have any website or social media that you'd like to plug so the viewers and listeners can follow you? And how can people watch The Tangle? Yeah, so The Tangle is now available on Amazon in 68 English-speaking territories. Um, it's available on Google Play. It's available on YouTube and I think on Tubi TV now for, for to buy or to rent. Um, you can check out our social media channels, The Tangle uh, on, on Instagram and Facebook, it's The Tangle. On Twitter, it's The Tangle Movie. And our website for The Tangle is thetanglemovie.com. And then if you want to come hang out with me on social media, I'm most fond of Instagram and I'm Jessica Clark Graham there. And I'm Christopher Soren Kelly on Instagram. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to do this interview. And thank you for the opportunity to watch The Tangle. I very much enjoyed it. As I mentioned, it's one of the most unique films that I've watched in a long time. And I highly recommend that anybody go watch it. So thank you guys for taking the time. Thank you, Derek. Thank really you, appreciate Derek. It. Thanks. Thanks again to Chris and Jessica for coming on the show to talk about The Tangle. I had so much fun watching this film. Be sure to check it out and follow them on social media to find out what they'll be up to next. For next week's show, I'll be talking about the film Warmed Over Krautrock with writer-director Mark Thompson, as well as actors Adam Weber, Kate Dalton, and Derek Elstro. I uh, had so much fun watching this film as well. Be sure to come back next week for that really fun episode. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Amazon Music, really anywhere you get your podcast for free. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can also find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. You can also watch the video versions of the show on YouTube. Just search for Derek Diamond. Also check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. I just added some new perks to the Patreon if you want to vote on the monthly top five discussions, as well as get access to some of my film scripts that I've been writing, early access to episodes. You're able to ask guests of the show questions. Just check out patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast for that. And I have to mention, you heard at the top of the show, a new theme song from the Unicorn Wranglers, their new single, For a Good Time Call, which you can find on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube. Check them out on social media. They're so fun. I love the new song. I can't wait to hear more from them over the next few weeks. That's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. <laughs>